Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. You know, if you build a better business, you can then be a better architect. And better businesses start with planning for profit. Download our free course, Profit for Small Firm Architects, at entrearchitect.com slash free course. You are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, and this is episode 157. Welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, whether you're in the process of launching a startup, or you might be an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. A recurring theme, well, more of a purpose, a recurring purpose I often hear throughout the Entree Architect community and, and throughout the profession in general is, is how can we leverage what we do as architects how can we leverage what we do for the good of more people? How can, we, how can we take the skills and the talents that we have as architects, how can we take those skills and talents of a profession, often referred to as only for the wealthy, how do we use our superpowers as architects to better serve the entire population? How do we benefit all of society as architects? Well, this week at Entree Architect Podcast, Modern Architecture and Design for the Masses with Ben Ueda of Homemade Modern. This episode of the Entree Architect podcast is sponsored by NCARB, helping architects reach their goals. Explore your options today at ncarb.org. And TrueStyle, the leader in high-end architectural interior doors. Learn more at entrearchitect.com slash truestyle. And FreshBooks, the easiest way to send invoices, manage your expenses, and track your time. Learn more at freshbooks.com slash architect. Ben Ueda, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's great having you here. Um, ben is an architect based in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, the co-founder of Zero Energy Design, uh, which had some some uh, some great press. It's an architectural firm focused on sustainable design, featured in architecture, uh, architectural record, Popular Mechanics, and some other magazines. Uh, Ben's also the co-founder at FreeGreen.com, 
which is a uh, site that develops home plans, you know, sustainable home plans, green home plans. Um, and he's the founder and director of Homemade Modern, which is a DIY design and projects channel on YouTube. Uh, he's a master of social media. If you're on social media and you're and you're uh, look, you're following modern design and projects, you'll find Ben. Uh, he's also a successful YouTuber, doing those kind of things uh, at Homemade Modern, and uh, and a TEDx speaker. So um, he's got sort of a vast portfolio of different things he's doing, lots of different projects. He has a great story about becoming an architect and with a focus on sustainable design and then delivering that design through very unique alternative business models. I'd love to, to talk about that a little bit. Um, and also giving back, you know, giving back in a really big way, which is what, what he's doing now. Um, but I want, I want Ben to share that story. So <laughs> let, let's start with that, Ben. Let's, uh, let's start with your origin story. Uh, go back to where you first discovered architecture, what inspired you to become an architect, and then that journey to where you find yourself today. So uh, I grew up in Southern California uh, to sort of a, a family with very modest sort of financial means. Uh, was always interested in making things and building things. I remember the first time that I read Huckleberry Finn, me and my brother actually built a raft out of two liter soda bottles and like floated it down the local river. Oh, that's awesome. And design was just this thing that you did when you didn't have access or couldn't afford to buy something. It was always like a way that sort of combined a little bit of adventure with resourcefulness, sort of a very MacGyver meets Swiss Family Robinson approach. So our whole family was pretty handy and it seemed natural that I would go into something like architecture. Um, so I went to Cornell for started as a as an undergrad there in their in their five year architecture program and then very quickly learned that uh, architecture at least the way it's taught is a little bit more esoteric than just building cool stuff. Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, but it was great, right? It yep. was uh, uh, I, I love I loved architecture school. There was this it was just this really strong subculture within the university. You hung out with other architects. It was like you lived, slept, and ate it. I was like talking about reviews and which professors had which ideas. We'd all go to lectures together. And it was this really great uh, environment that was, that was incredibly challenging. You know, we did the, the you know, certainly the hours that architecture students spend are, are pretty insane. Um, the criticism was harsh and it was uh, a, a fantastic education overall. But as I started to get nearer and nearer graduation, uh, as someone that's always been somewhat sort of practically minded and thinking about, okay, this is great. I love this subject matter, but how am I going to make a living and what I'm going to do? I started talking to more and more recent graduates of Cornell uh, architecture, and they painted life after <laughs> architecture school as, as slightly less glamorous than what it was being portrayed to us. So most of architecture students' exposure to the industry is through their faculty, right? So it's this sort of like leisurely thing where they give lectures and they pontificate and you know, talk about these beautiful locations. And it th seems like this very sort of cool upscale uh, lifestyle. When you talk to people that are a couple years out of college and working for a big corporate architecture firm and have just spent, you know, 50 to 60 hours detailing fire stairs and uh, redlining drawings, it's anything but that. And uh, you start, you know, and that's where I immediately started to think, well, what, what am I actually doing so that when I graduate, I'm doing the same type of things that I enjoy in school, but doing them to make money. And I very quickly saw that that wasn't the case for most recent architecture uh, graduates. Um, so I became very sort of focused in my last few years of undergrad. And as they bled into grad, I stayed on to Cornell and did sort of a combined master's plus uh, undergrad program. I really started focusing with a couple classmates about what we were going to do when we graduated. This whole idea of waiting until you've been in the profession for 10 to 15 years, you have a mortgage and kids before you start your firm, didn't make sense to me. I always think that if you're going to take uh, entrepreneurial or capital risk, you should do it while you're the most uh, or the least risk adverse which would be right after you graduate, right, right? right? You're already used to sleeping on couches and eating top ramen on a daily basis. So, you know, taking sort of financial or entrepreneurial risk when you're younger makes more sense than when you're established and have more responsibilities. 
So with that, we kept sort of thinking, okay, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna start a firm pretty much the day we graduate? And you know, whenever we sort of talked to how people got their start, it always seemed very, you know, people would throw out say, oh, you know, I won a competition or I did this, or I was working for a firm and then I found a client and did a side project and that led to something. It seemed really accidental and non-direct. Like there wasn't a way you could just work your way to manufacturing that opportunity. Um, so we started looking to learn as much about sort of buildings as possible, like not just the sort of glamorous stuff that happens in design studios, but we really wanted to know how do we design a building? And we kind of guessed that, well, residential buildings are the most common building type in America. Uh, and that's where we sort of planned on doing firm. Like that seems like a pretty simple building type. Let's really start to focus on that towards the end of our education. So at least we know how to do the basics for a pretty easy building type. Uh, the analogy I would use that if you're like, if you want to be a chef, start with something simple that doesn't require a lot of capital so you can launch your food truck right away and then build it or a catering business and then build it into something else. Uh, don't try to design, you know, the, the, the next Guggenheim Museum, maybe while you're a 22 year old kid, there might, there might be a little bit more complexity for, you know, a hundred million dollar building than, than what you're prepared to deal with. Um, so we entered this, uh, competition called the solar decathlon, which the department of energy sponsored. And it was basically to design and build a completely off the grid, 700 square foot solar powered house. And the team at Cornell that we put together, me and my uh, business partner, Stephanie Horowitz, uh, was the only student led team in that competition. And this was the 2005 version of the solar decathlon. And you were still, still at Cornell at that time. Still at Cornell, yeah. yeah. So it was an awesome project because it actually let us learn all the things that we weren't getting in the architecture program, which was, you know, how to design a building. Uh, that works and doesn't leak and all those things. And we got to build it with our own hands, which is a great way to sort of reinforce what you're learning in the sort of construction drawing sets. So we entered that competition. Uh, we ended up coming in second uh, out of 20 teams. Uh, we just learned a ton over the two years that we participated in it. And by the time we sort of graduated, we finished a competition right before we graduated, uh, we felt pretty confident that we knew how to design a building. Um, and then the question is, okay, we kind of feel like we're ready and well, we're ready to be unready and still do it anyways, I guess is the sort of right. state we're in. But then the question is, architecture is a dependent profession. It's a service profession. Yes, it's creative. Yes, it's about uh, design expertise, but ultimately it is a service profession where you, where clients come to you and you react to them. Um, so how do we get the first clients when we have no portfolio other than this student project uh, and no real experience, no licenses, just the, just degrees. Yeah. And we looked to, well, where is an advantage to be young and inexperienced? Uh, and this is something I tell my students uh, whenever I'm, wherever I am involved with teaching uh, or just young architects or designers that I meet in general there is always a competitive advantage to being young and inexperienced. There's also disadvantages too, yeah. but you just have to leverage the advantages you have to overcome the ones you don't. In that case, this is 2005, 2006, it was the internet. Remember when like all of the architecture firms had these like really slow loading, man yeah. magnificent flash intro sites? So you'd click on some architecture firm, and it would just be this like line just streaks across the screen and then some letters come out and then maybe some abstract lines and we'd say like space and time. It was just, it would take like two hours to load because the internet was terrible back then. Um, and what was more important, those flash intros didn't do so well indexing in search engines. So here it is, right? The internet, the, the, the greatest innovation in sharing ideas and communicating since the, the printing press probably and what do architects use it for? Oh, moving portfolio images that that are not really indexable and and uh, people can't find them. And and that were the that was the the architects who even knew that they should be online because and, the, and, the vast right. majority of them weren't even online. They didn't see the value and, of it. And those were the progressive ones right. that knew that they we should have a website, right? So we said, okay, boom, there's our advantage. We don't have a portfolio, but most young people know digital media better than. Their, their, uh, their elders, most young people today, intuitively understand Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, YouTube, Reddit, uh, Pinterest better than their employers or, or predecessors. 
So we said, that's, that's our advantage. So we focused on really simple search engine optimization stuff related around the search terms we were interested in, which was green design, sustainable design. Then from there, we looked at markets that were kind of underserved. Rather than being like every other architecture student that like rushes to New York, LA, or San Francisco, because they're cool cities, we said, yeah, that, that would be nice. Like I, I would prefer living in some of those cities, but let's look at the places where there's interest in the subject matter but there's less of the sort of established firms doing that type of work. And that's why we sort of chose like the New England and Boston area. We said, oh, here's an area that, that should be interested in sustainability, strong uh, uh, scientific community with all the good universities, but not a lot of like really, you know, uh, residential architecture firms focusing on sustainable design, like the way, say, in Southern California, there was, there was a ton of them even back then. Um, it was also a place where, uh, uh, the cold and extreme climate conditions could really show a good uh, energy payback for building a super insulated home or something that had some of these renewable energy or ecologically conscious features. So we pretty much said, okay, so let's, uh, day we graduated, started the website. Uh, we focused a lot on search engine optimization, wrote a lot of articles, contributed to, to different blogs, did every sort of media interview that we could at the time. Podcasting really wasn't that big yet then. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and we certainly didn't have a great conversion rate, but people were finding the website. And we said, okay, well, we just have to convert one out of a thousand of them because yeah. we're getting a lot of traffic. And that's how eventually we built our first, uh, our first uh, clients. And we were very upfront. They're like, we don't have a lot of experience, but we are the people that are going to be working on it. You're talking to the partners of the firm. We're also going to be the ones that are doing all of the work. It's not going to be staffed, staffed down to someone else. We're going to work twice as hard as everyone else. And we're also using state-of-the-art tools, not just the internet to find clients, but we were using Revit from uh, day one. And we'd explain to clients, and our first clients uh, tended to be scientists or engineers. Um, and we'd say, what we lack in experience, we're going to make up by using better 3D modeling tools. We're going to be able to do everything in 3D. This isn't just a plan and section. Uh, we're able to sort of run filters to catch errors. We're able to sort of model for efficiency, to do material takeoffs automatically, to do energy modeling. We actually had, uh, uh, in our firm when we started, we actually had some uh, mechanical engineers as well, so that we knew that we could really not just sort of, oh yeah, here's where the solar panels go, but actually really design the energy systems and then do iterative models to sort of streamline and make them more efficient. Um, and so yeah, we got our first uh, clients, uh, did some, some houses that were, were nice. Um, about eight months in, we got our first big commission, which was to do this really cool modern house in uh, on Cape Cod. That house won a ton of awards, got published, and got, you know got the cover of a bunch of design magazines. And then from there, we were sort of off to the races with clients and uh, opportunities coming our way. So, do you think that that your early focus on the internet and social media uh, was really what the big break was or yeah yeah and i and i'm not an internet person I, I i don't think i had email until i was in my you know i was like 21 or 22 or something uh so it's not like i'm some tech person it was it was simply necessity it was like the, it was the decision i'm not going to wait i'm not going to be you know i'm not going to start my firm when i'm in my 30s or 40s uh which is still probably pretty young uh in in, in architecture i'm going to do it now i'm going to take the risk now i'm going to get through the mistakes early now, what can I do to do it? So it was more, it wasn't like the internet was this thing that I had in my back pocket. I just knew that we would probably be a little bit better at it than people that were 10 years older than us. Right. Um, and so that's how we started. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, the, how, how did you, because I know there are a lot of people listening right now and the question they're asking is how did you do that work without a license? What did you do to, to get around that hurdle? Because I think a lot of students want to do what you said you did, um, but you know they don't know how to do that. Yeah. So when we teamed up with uh, with our first big projects, uh, a lot of the big contractors that we worked with kept a licensed architect on staff. Got it. And so when we were, you know, when we uh, we also talked to some other licensed architects in this sort of area and said, "Hey, this is our situation. We need your help. We'll pay you. We'll cut you in." We want to lead the design team. We'll need, we'll, we want you not just to stamp the drawings, but we want your expertise for review. We'll hire you as a consultant. Um, That's a great idea. And, 
and we, you know, we did that. This is how we hustle. This is what we do. Uh, we'll give you credit, which is a really underrated thing in architecture is giving credit is free. It doesn't cost you anything. It, it, it just is the way to be a decent, nice, creative human being. And it's so often hoarded in the design field where people, they don't put their interns on names on the projects and stuff like that. And that was a lesson that we learned really early on is give people credit for, for things that they helped you succeed with uh, and you'll build some great relationships. So there's uh, what we found, especially in the high-end residential uh, uh, sort of design market, uh, a lot of the really great builders had in-house licensed architects, um, which is also really outstanding because these types of firms tend to focus on a really specific locale. Um, and just because you have a license in you know, Massachusetts doesn't mean you're familiar dealing with the specificities of uh, a coastally protected area on Cape Cod right. versus a place in inland Massachusetts. Totally different municipalities and challenges. So even if you did have the license and you have projects that are you know, hundreds of miles apart, you still, it's great to consult to a local licensed architect that has those really specific skill sets. Um, so that's how we sort of got through the, the sort of license thing. And then uh, my partner, Stephanie, was the, the first one to get licensed and uh, she did that pretty quick. So, so you had uh, zero energy design, and and that answers the question about the URL because I saw the URL zeroenergy.com. I'm like, how the hell did he get that? Because that was such a great uh, URL. And then I realized as you were telling your story, because you were an early adopter, you were, early, you, you were one of the first ones there. It was available, and you grabbed it. So, got, uh, yeah, gotta get gotta get in early. Let's take a quick break here to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect. We could not be doing this without them. And Carb, True Style Doors, and FreshBooks. Do you know someone in your firm who's always dreamed of getting licensed, but was unable to complete the experience requirement? Well, maybe that person's you. Well, now you or they can get back on track with NCARB's new AXP portfolio. With this option, seasoned professionals can complete the architectural experience program, the AXP formerly the IDP. That's what we used to know it by. It's changed. It's new. You can now complete the AXP by submitting an online portfolio. Along with meeting your state's education and examination requirements, the portfolio will help you or your employees get one step closer to becoming an architect. Learn more about the AXP portfolio at ncarb.org slash entrearchitect. Have you ever gone back to a completed project for a visit and found the doors sticking or the seams splitting and a very unhappy client? I've been there. We are in the client happiness business here at Small Firm Architects. And when a piece of our project fails to perform, especially one that our clients see and use and touch every day, it makes us look bad. Well, True Style will make us look good. And True Style is passionate about providing us small firm architects with the inspiration and the tools to transform our designs with the most authentic and distinctive doors available. With more than 400 made-to-order styles, TrueStyle offers beautifully stable, premium MDF doors for painted applications and 20 standard species of wood across all architectural categories from traditional to contemporary and everything in between. Every TrueStyle door is made to order. TrueStyle, driven by design, Visit TrueStyle.com, that's T-R-U-S-T-I-L-E.com, and start designing your doors today. 192 hours. That works out to about two business days per month. If you're an architect using FreshBooks, that's the amount of administration time that you could save in 2017. That's time that you can be spent doing the things you love, like being an architect. FreshBooks is so fast and easy to use that it changes the way we deal with our paperwork. FreshBooks has been completely redesigned from the ground up and custom built for the way that we work. With the new projects feature, we can share files and messages with our clients and our contractors and employees. With the new notification center, it's sort of like a personal assistant. You'll always know what's changed in your business since the last time you logged in. So when you're ready to give FreshBooks a try, go to freshbooks.com slash architect and sign up for your free 30-day unrestricted trial. 
get the whole thing for free for 30 days and get the simplest way to be more productive, more organized, and most importantly, importantly, <laughs> get paid faster. Go to freshbooks.com slash architect. That's freshbooks.com slash architect. And be sure to enter Entree Architect in the how did you hear about us section. So I'd like you to continue with your story. Sure. But, but I, I, um, I, before we do that, are there, are there any areas now, because you sort of, the internet and social media and, and Revit were sort of your, your, your cards that you played at that time, Today, that's pretty much all commonplace. So are there things now that young architects can focus on that you see that they may be able to take an advantage now? Yeah, there's there's a few ways that young architects can sort of do this, right? And so social media are the obvious channels. Um, but the other thing is just sort of answering people's questions. So of course, if you can produce content that's visually compelling, which architects are pretty good at doing that, yeah. and that that people understand how it fits into a context you can produce a lot of followers on social media. Now, if you take it a step farther and make it helpful that addresses people's needs and concerns, you can do really, really, really well on social media. If you take it farther and that that content shows people how to do something, and when they do that something, they spend money, then you have product-integrated content that can make you lots of money. Um, so architects are natural content producers. There are more visual channels that are hungry for visual media than ever before. So make interesting things for, for, for YouTube, for uh, Instagram, uh, for uh, uh, Facebook. Um, but don't just do the same types of renderings that everyone else is doing. Take it a little bit deeper. Uh, if you search right now, here's, here's like a great example. Yeah. If you search for shipping container houses, tons of images and renderings will come up. If you search for how to build a shipping container house, you'll get a link to a bunch of really crappy eBooks on Amazon that are just absolute terrible garbage. They're just like these like word documents that some sort of uh, shyster uh, person sort of produced to try to just categorize, to take advantage of that search term. There's a huge opportunity for right now. If someone says, you know what? There's a lot of interest in the imagery. People like to click on the images, but there's not really good information that tells someone how to do it, how to insulate it. How to, how, to, how to reinforce when you cut a big opening for a window, how do you reinforce it? Should I use angle line or should I use square tube? If I use square tube, they have to worry about condensation building into it. How do I rust proof it? In climates like uh, where it's cold and coastal, should I do the insulation on the outside of the metal or the inside of the metal, right? These are things that could be systematically researched. You don't need an expert to do it. And you could create sort of documents or, or information that's behind the renderings that make people really loyal to your content feeds and say, wow, this person maybe doesn't know have every answer, but he's systematically providing research value to me. Uh, and so basically look for anything where there's a lot of interest and then look for the places that have a lot of interest, but not a lot of useful information behind it. Do the research, make some diagrams, make some drawings, educate the people, educate yourself in the process. And the next thing you know, people will start to come to you with questions and opportunities being like, hey, I have some land. Uh, I just inherited it. You think you could come design and build one of those for me? That's a great way for young people in their free time to start to be useful and to connect to people. The, thing, the mistake that I see a lot of people making is that they, they, they gamble, which is what competitions are. Yeah. They do this boomer bust approach where they spend hundreds and hundreds of hours to create a competition of which they're one of a thousand entries. I saw this, uh, I think it was this big public competition for a Guggenheim museum. And they had, they were boasting about how many people had entered. And it was just like hundreds, if not thousands of these incredible uh, presentation boards. Each one of those boards had so much time that went into that, yeah. probably from a team of people. And they were so happy that they'd taken all these people's time that they weren't getting paid for, produced all this incredible content just to pick one, right? And yeah. it's like, no, 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 no. I mean, if you want to gamble, fine. It's your time. It's your, it's, it's your life. Treat, you know, treat your time with however much respect you have for it. But you can systematically provide value in a way that every hour you put in adds value to your career without relying on somebody else's approval to sort of say, okay, wait, we decided you're a winner and you're not. 
Um, so, yeah, no, I think that's a, that's an immediate opportunity for uh, young designers and architects to produce and, content. Yeah, and I would I would just say that that that's great advice for anyone. You know, whether you're, whether you're a young architect looking to sort of break out, or an older architect who's been doing the traditional design forever and is looking to be more creative or or gain some traction or find a bigger bigger um, opportunity. That's that's great advice for anybody. Yeah. So, what happens sort of after architecture for me? So I, yeah. now these days I. I don't spend that much time doing architecture. I'm still a uh, partner in the firm, but my uh, my business partner Stephanie Horowitz is now the managing director of Zero Energy Design. And is doing just an incredible job. Uh, we now have a small office in uh, in Brooklyn, our main office in Boston, and then a small office in uh, Cape Cod. Um, so in about I think in around 2007, uh, we'd been you know sort of having a lot of success in uh, with zero energy design, got a bunch of magazine covers, bunch of design awards, um, and we're getting like wealthier and wealthier clients. That was where I started to have a little bit of like a crisis uh, of conscious. It's like, I got into this because I was interested in sustainability. I grew up in a pretty poor uh, uh, family. There was no way my family could afford any, could afford one fifth of the houses we were designing. And that's a problem with architecture. The average house designed by an architect, I think the construction budget, uh, according to the AIA, if I, if I remember correctly, uh, is about twice the sale price of the average American home. That's just the construction budget. That's not including the land. Architects are for rich people, period, and people that live in cities. If you live in the suburbs and uh, or in a rural location, chances are you've had very minimal impact uh, in your life by an architect design piece of architecture. Uh, you've been in a lot of buildings, but not ones that were probably directly uh, uh, commissioned for that. So, and if you look at it, um, I think in the US, uh, I think it's less than 5% of the homes designed in America are designed directly by an architect. Uh, and that's not because they're all mobile homes or modular homes, that's also I think less than 10%. About 30% of the homes in America come from stock house plans from sites like houseplants.com or like my old company that was uh, acquired by houseplants.com, freegreen.com. And these houseplants are, were typically sold for about $600 to $1,000. And this is where the houses in America come from. Uh, they also come from big builders, right. you know, like the Toll Brothers, Pulte, and those ones. But after 2008, those sort of, you know, th those guys took a big hit and are, are sort of less active. So. I was sort of dissatisfied with the notion of that uh, architecture being mostly, especially residential architecture, mostly for wealthy people. We did a ton of pro bono projects. We won the, the natural uh, talent design competition by the USGBC uh, to design affordable uh, houses for Katrina victims. Uh, we designed uh, lead platinum houses that we had built for under $100,000. We won that competition. Like many competitions, it then took years and years for it to actually get implemented. <laughs> when it got implemented, it was a fraction of what we designed. Right. And so we spent all this time, all this effort, you know, pro bono, to do something that didn't even get done right. And the reality is it takes just as long to design an affordable house as it does an expensive house. There's just not money for a design commission on top of it. So you can do this sort of conscious, uh, you know, you put a Band-Aid on your on your conscious every once in a while and do a pro bono project, but it's not a systemic way to do any sort of real change. Um, so I was a little disenfranchised with that. I had sort of, the way I sort of conceptualized it was, you know, I'm not a big fan of trickle down economics politically, but that was sort of my argument for how my design work was achieving good. I was designing high end stuff and then saying, oh, but it's like winning sustainable awards. We won all these eco home of the year awards. So maybe that progress will trickle down to sort of market level. I, I wouldn't buy that from like my politics, but I hear it was, was with the, the thing that I was investing most of my time into, I was making that excuse. So what I wanted to do was figure out a way to, to, make, uh, to design affordable, energy efficient homes that I didn't charge a consumer for the design. And so that's why me and uh, a different business partner uh, started Free Green, where we basically said, we're gonna make house plans. You see stock construction drawings that are like six to 10 page PDFs. And we're not gonna charge 600 to $1,000 like most people. We're gonna give them away for free. And they're gonna come with energy modeling. And they're gonna have better energy efficient construction details. 
And the way we were going to make money off of it is if you think about where the cost of even affordable home, even in, even in, let's say, let's say we're designing a house for a hundred thousand dollars. That's, that's a, that's a really uh, low cost home. Right. There's still a hundred thousand dollars of goods and services are tied to it. So if we, and most people don't know the brand of their insulation or their HVAC system, they maybe know the brand of the appliances and the stovetop and that kind of stuff, but not these hidden things. So we can actually spec the brand name and explain why we made that choice into the construction drawings for the home. So we're creating a way for people to see why a bio-based uh, closed cell insulation is a great option with energy modeling to back it and at the same time connect them to the company that provides them that. And so we actually were distributing architecture as a type of media and then monetizing it as a type of marketing. Uh, and that let us blow up and be quickly become one of the largest supplier of home designs uh, in the country. That's very interesting. So that's, that, that was basically free home, home designs, architecturally designed home designs. Mm -hmm. um, give them away and then go and ask the manufacturers to, to pay. That's, that's the business model is that the revenue comes from the sponsorships essentially uh, for, for the uh, inclusion in the, in the construction drawings. Right. And it's, it's really how all sort of media sort of works, yeah. right? It's do things to bring in interest and attention. If you can also educate, that makes that interest and attention more valuable than if it's just sort of idle visualization. Um, and then from there, find the right partnerships to sort of monetize that interest and attention. Um, so we built that up. I think uh, we, I think we, I think in the totality of the company gave away more than 200,000 home designs. Um, the homes were built all over, uh, all over the U.S. Um, we, again, won the, uh, got a bunch of press and stuff for that. Um, struggled through 2008. Uh, we raised about uh, just under a million dollars in venture capital to start this company. Uh, and this was another way where my architecture education came in great. When we were pitching you know, venture capitalists and stuff like that and angel investors, having sort of an architecture background where you can whip up awesome 3D visuals really... <laughs> It's kind of like it can, it can certainly spruce up those uh, those pitch decks that uh, are, are often so just the just the most basic version of horrible PowerPoint. So um, that was sort of like a fun a fun anecdote where where an architect can uh, or an architecture student can add a little bit of value to to sort of a tech kind of pitch or something like that. Um, but yeah, we raised a bunch of money. Uh, struggled in 2008 because our, our business model was, you know, in 2006 or seven, I think there was like over a million homes being built. And after sort of 2008, it was like maybe a couple hundred thousand. Um, and so much of our business model was built around uh, advertising revenue from the construction industry, which was hit the hardest by by this sort of economic downturn. Uh, but we we built the company back up. Uh, it got uh, acquired by House Plans, uh, I think, in like 2013, 2014. Um, and then I was sort of uh, thinking, well, what do I want to do next? Uh, I could go back and focus just on architecture, put all my time back into zero energy design. But I was still interested in this idea of uh, dis distributing design as media. I'd seen so many people try to create modular designs. I think since modernism, so many architects have tried to do these these modern kit house systems that would then right. solve all these problems. They don't work. They're horrible business model ideas. To make a modular house where you're selling physical housing parts, you would have to have the amount of capital that's similar to a car company. Plus, every house in America already is prefab. No one goes into the woods with an axe and like whittles their way to like a finished house with like plumbing. Pipes are a product, bathtubs are a product, windows are a product, countertops are a product. So if you were to actually create and sell full kit houses, there'd be so much, re unless you were this massively capitalized, vertically integrated company, you, you're basically adding a lot of redundant things uh, on top of it. Uh, you would basically be like a middleman where you'd be buying parts from one company and then assembling them and then trying to resell them. And then the margins don't work. The shipping radiuses are terrible. So. I knew I wanted to have try to have like a, a major impact on a lot of people and at the same time uh, design things that my family could have afforded when I was a kid. And that was sort of one of the, the sort of challenges that I wanted to take, off, take on in, uh, with my next sort of uh, phase of my career. So 
I knew that I could distribute design as a type of media and monetize it as a type of marketing. I know that the, the, the new home construction industry uh, is very cyclical to uh, uh, market sort of whims. And so I said, well, how do I go a step more elemental? I'm like, oh, well, I've always liked building stuff with my own hands. Let me try it at the sort of furniture and DIY scale. So I started designing furniture that could be made with really simple power tools like circular saws and drills um, and with like materials that are available at like Home Depot. And I started designing like affordable modern furniture and then making YouTube videos uh, about it. And that's what sort of led to uh, homemade-modern.com, which is by far been the most the most fun I've had in uh, in my career. Um, and it was, yeah, it was just awesome. I mean, and, and it, it's also like so instant gratification, which isn't necessarily good. <laughs> but because architecture, I mean, you know, it's like it's so slow, right? Yeah. You, you, you get the client. You might spend two months to try to lock the client down, get through contracts. OK, then you go through a design process, which could be three months. It could be six months. It could be a year, depending on their how quickly they make uh, decisions. Then you go through the construction process. It's another two years. Then the house is finally done and you get the photographer to come in and you take great photos. And then you give those photos to a magazine, but they're like, okay, we're pretty booked, so we're not gonna be able to publish it for another six months. So you're like years and years between when you first had the idea versus when the idea gets shared with the world. Um, that's, that, that's, a, that's a long grind and a long slog. Um, now with what I do is I can have an idea, sketch it out, Let's say, uh, let's say today's Friday, right? So if I have an idea right now, uh, I can sketch out my sketchbook, wake up early tomorrow, build it, you know, set up a camera on a tripod, film it, build a cool piece of furniture. Um, Sunday, I'll maybe edit the video, publish the video on Monday, and probably by like Tuesday or Wednesday, it's been seen by well, 50 to 100,000 people, right? And I got feedback. I get I get tips saying, "Oh, well, you know, you really should have welded that connection, or you know, what? you could have used a biscuit joiner instead of screws, or why didn't you try this? Or here's a t uh, a better way to clamp things together when you're gluing it." Uh, not only do I get to share the design, I get a ton of feedback from people in the comment sections and and so on and so forth. It also is a really cost efficient way to sort of share designs, right? I literally like every sort of you know thing that I do creates. Uh, is a is a sequence in this video that then gets broadcast to lots of people uh, from a business side uh, everything I'm doing uh, is directing people or showing them how they could take action if they take that action it's not like they're just watching me you know uh, stack cups or you know build houses of, of cards or um, it's actually showing things that they could sort of have for their for their own home and uh, uh, if they go out and choose to sort of buy the materials from Home Depot or get the same tools that I use, I'm driving commerce, which is then really valuable to the brands that end up uh, sponsoring me. And and that's how you make your money today is you you've built you build these projects, record them, post them on YouTube, have lots of people interested in what you're doing and following you, lots yep. of traffic, and then these manufacturers and or, and suppliers are interested in connecting with those people. And so they sponsor your, your content. Exactly. Right. So, uh, my, my, some of my designs have been, uh, so I, one of the first projects that I did that really went big was a very simple three legged stool. And I'm, I'm not a good woodworker. So I took a five gallon bucket. I poured in two and a half inches of concrete into the bottom of the bucket. Then I stuck three sticks into the <laughs> wet concrete, waited a day, popped it out of the bucket and you have a three-legged stool with a concrete top. Super easy. So I shared the YouTube video of that. It took off. People started watching it around the world. And then within like a month, I started to see people posting images or emailing or tweeting or Instagramming images of this stool that they made. And that one project has now been built on six different continents. Uh, Antarctica is the only place that it hasn't uh, uh, been built yet. Um, people even make them and sell them. And I very quickly saw that, wait, not only do people just watching it, I'm influencing and actually providing instructional design and influencing physical action all over the world. So I can spread design digitally. It doesn't have to, I don't have to make something outsource to manufacturing, deal with the sort of uh, ethical quandaries of, of that sort of process, and then 
have all this uh, capital risk by having this huge warehouse full of things that I don't know if they're going to sell, then spend all this money on marketing. No, I can just be a designer. I can say, I have a cool idea. I'm going to make one version of it. If you guys like it, oh, here's the idea. Take it. Yeah. I don't, I don't have to patent it. I don't have to do anything. I am incentivized to share and give away my ideas, which is like the best feeling ever. With, with when I was started uh, the architecture firm, we were in this quandary of, we were designing these really great energy efficient wall sections, right? These really clever ways to sort of insulate a home and protect it from moisture uh, in a more cost efficient way. Like, this is awesome. Whenever we'd figure out a cool way to do it, we always be like, man, we wanted to share, share this with all our architecture friends. But we spent a bunch of man hours that we're paying our employees for to produce that. Right. And so that service profession model makes you hoard your progressive design ideas. And with this business model that I'm involved in now, I'm incentivized to have people steal my ideas. It's like, take it, build it. Here it is. Make it, make it better than I can, right? And then tell me how you made it better. And then I'll reshare that. Um, so it's really, it's removed a lot of that angst, a feeling like you have to you have to come up with really great ideas and then you have to protect them so no one else copies them. And then, um, no, it's awesome now because I just say, here's what I did. Please make it better. Go make your own version. Make it your own. Make it different. Make it out of different materials. Uh, make it with different regional constraints. Um, uh, and, and, and then share that on. And, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, and the more they share, the the more successful you become and the more you can share. And it's just this great cycle that keeps going and going. Right. And I think we're just scratching the surface. I mean, yeah, we did the first with and I think this will probably be more interesting to the, the architects specifically because so many young architects are now coming out of school with digital fabrication experience. Digital fabrication plays with this really well. So I recently did a spiral staircase for my own uh, home in, in, in Boston and I just published the DWG files online. So I made this spiral staircase out of about eight hundred dollars worth of plywood. If I would have bought a prefab steel one, the cheapest one that would have worked would have been about $2,000 um, and then built it. That project's been viewed uh, on a combination of Facebook, YouTube, Instagram more than 50 million times. Yeah. 50 million times have seen this one, 50 million people have seen this one design that I did. And not only am I just to get to see it, any designer that wants to put that in their house or a client's house, they can just go to my site download the, the drawings and do it. I'm not charging them. I don't even ask for their email or anything. Just take it. It's yours. Uh, and that, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. yeah. People who are listening to this know me and my, and my passion is to share what I know. And so uh, to have you on the show and to, to see the success that you're having uh, directly from sharing your knowledge uh, is really exciting for me. So I appreciate you coming by here and spending some time with me and, and sharing your story. It's it's a it's a very inspiring story. I hope that there are listeners out there uh, who are inspired to action and uh, and take take up take you up on some of the ideas that you're that you're presenting here. Um, your websites are zeroenergy.com. That's the architecture firm. Yep. Uh, homemade-modern.com will take you to the website for homemade modern. Um, it's also on YouTube. You can go to YouTube and search up homemade-modern. Um, and uh, if you're interested in the TEDx uh, talk that, that Ben did, it's, uh, that'll be on the show notes. Uh, but that, he, Ben talks all about the reason he gives away his designs and, and his inspiration and his background. Uh, so I highly recommend that you take some time and, and uh, watch the TEDx talk. It's called uh, Why I Give My Best Designs Away for Free. Uh, definitely worth the time to watch that. Uh, on social media, like I said, Ben is everywhere on social media. So it's on Facebook uh, slash Ben dot Ueda. Uh, Facebook.com slash Homemade Modern is the Homemade Modern site. Uh, and these will all be on the show notes as well. But, but Twitter.com slash Ben Ueda. Instagram slash Benjamin Ueda. Uh, YouTube slash user slash Homemade Modern. No dash. So you can, and you can just search homemade modern. I'm sure yeah. you'll, you'll find, find them on YouTube. That's where you want to go. You want to see what, what Ben's doing today, go to YouTube and search up homemade modern. And you'll find them also on Pinterest, uh, slash Ben Ueda. Um, all these will be on the show notes, entrearchitect.com slash episode 157. So Ben, 
uh, before we wrap, I have one last question for you. Uh, this, is, this is the question I ask everybody who comes on the show here. What's one thing that small firm architects can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Uh, build a piece of furniture, something that where the, the capital risk of your time and also the cost of materials is minimal. I don't think, if I go to any of my, my architecture friends' home, almost everyone has like at least something that they built on. It might just be a really clever way of stacking cinder blocks and a piece of plywood. Architects are really, really good at this. So, and the public isn't. And this is a way to share something with people that they'll sort of disproportionately love that's also disproportionately easy for architects to do. So I'd say make a piece of furniture, make a kitchen island if you wanna go a little bit bigger. Make something that you can do on a weekend with less than like $100 of materials. And just put your own spin on it. It doesn't have to be reinventing the wheel. Just make something that's a little bit cleaner than something out there. Do an amazing Ikea hack, do it. You know, if you have an iPhone, you can film it. Uh, architects also tend to take pretty good photographs, right? Share the information, share like a valuable thing that can make somebody's home nicer that you can do in a weekend. And I guarantee you, it'll have positive impact on you. Great advice, great advice. Uh, this show will be coming out on a Friday. So everybody's got weekends coming up. Go do that. Go, <laughs> go build a piece of furniture. Design it, build it, get it done, and share it before Monday. Do it. That's great advice. Uh, ben, thank you very much for taking some time out here and sharing your really inspirational story. I appreciate you coming on the, the podcast and, uh, and sharing your knowledge. My pleasure. Complete show notes and a direct link to download this episode will be found at entrearchitect.com slash episode 157. And we'll have all the links to all of the things that Ben is doing. He's such an interesting guy, such an interesting concept that he's developed. Uh, great YouTube channel. Definitely go check that out. entrearchitect.com slash episode 157. It will all be there. And don't forget... You know, I say this every week. Don't forget to visit the website to gain access to our digital course. You know, this, this course has been downloaded by hundreds of architects. Profit for small firm architects. It's teaching architects all over the world how to build a powerful profit plan that will work for your small firm. Visit entrearchitect.com slash free course and get the course today. Profit for small firm architects. Entrearchitect.com slash free course. My name is Mark R. LePage and I am an entrepreneur architect and I encourage you to build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, and share what you know. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.
I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. One that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast. It's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. (laughs) So for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.